All right, uh, last time uh, we were going through a, f- a few points of difference between uh, the liberal view of Christ and who Christ is versus uh, our view of who Christ is. Um, and we covered the first six points on the outline. So we covered Paul's view of Christ, uh, the disciples' view of Christ, Christ's view of himself, then now we're into the liberals' view of Christ. Um, and we concluded that the liberal version of Christ is not the true Christ. And we're in the middle of answering the question, or we're adding to that question, who is the true Christ? So in this next point, if you can find it on the outline, is what do we mean by supernatural uh, because we, we made the point that Christ is a supernatural person, okay? Uh, he's not just a, a natural teacher or uh, just some mere prophet. Uh, he is viewed by the apostles um, and by all Christians throughout history as the object of faith, not just an example of faith. He is an example of faith, but he's primarily the object of faith. Um, so, uh, I'll begin right off the bat with the question, what do we mean by supernatural? Uh, when we speak of supernat- a supernatural event, it is speaking of that event taking place in nature by the immediate power of God. So, two things need to exist for a supernatural event. The existence of a personal God and the existence of a real order of nature. Okay? You need the existence of God and nature. The existence of an order of nature. It is the entrance of God's power into the order of the world. Uh, This is what we consider a miracle. Uh, A lot of people say, well, you know, giving birth or childbirth is a miracle. No, it's not. Childbirth is not a miracle. It is part of the natural order that God set up. But when Christ raises Lazarus from the dead, that is a miracle, a supernatural event. The resurrection of Christ is a miracle, a supernatural event. And we'll get to this later on. You might be confused a little bit on this at first, but we'll get to it. The Christian's conversion is a miracle. It is a supernatural event. Okay. So what is the difference between supernatural and natural events? Now, God is at work in both events. We're not saying that nature takes care of itself. And once in a while, God steps in and does something miraculous. No. God works in both the natural and supernatural. So what's the difference? In natural events, God uses means like nature. He set up a natural order. This doesn't mean that God is not at work in that order and he is not governing all things. He is sovereign over all things and governs by his general providence. Okay? But in supernatural events, God doesn't use means, but he puts forth 
his creative power, like when Jesus raised Lazarus. So the distinction between natural and supernatural is the same distinction as providence and creation. Providence is natural. Creation is supernatural. It requires God's creative power. We hardly think of it this way, but creation at the beginning, that was a miracle. God spoke the world into existence. It was a mysterious act which produced the world. Okay, so remember that distinction. When we're thinking of creation, that is supernatural. When we think of providence, that's natural. Okay, so easy, I think that's the easiest way to think of it. Now this leads Machen, because you could imagine all the false teaching that was entering the liberal church, and even in conservative churches today, the distinction between um, Christianity and, say, deism and pantheism. Uh, according to deism, God set the world up. He set it up. He, he created everything uh, like a, uh, a clock, right, or a machine. And he left it independent of himself. He just sits there on his heavenly throne and watches the world as it turns. He doesn't really get involved. But we know this is not the God of the Bible, who is always watching over and guiding the course of this world and the course of history. And the supernatural events are not completely set apart from natural means, because that's what it would mean, that, that somehow something supernatural happens is from a God who is completely apart from the world. No, that's not how it happens. Consider the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus used bread and fish, but he miraculously multiplied them. Right? The creative power of God used the natural means to uh, uh, perform a miracle, to create something kind of out of nothing, right? <laughs> much less than it was. Right? Who can understand what actually occurred like when the natural left off and the supernatural began. We, we can't understand all that. So the supernatural events or miracles in the Bible are not the work of a God who has no part in his creation. They are the work of a God who through his works of providence is preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions for his own glory. Then you have pantheism that says that God is part of nature. Okay, so deism, he's apart from nature. Uh, pantheism say he, he is part of nature. He is part of the process of nature. He is literally the rock or the tree uh, or this wooden pulpit. So he is not distinct from his creation. So it would be wrong to think that something from outside could enter the course of nature, right? Now this is why they don't really believe in miracles um, because it's, it's crazy to think that God would enter in with a supernatural event uh, or miracle because God is part of nature. You know, whatever happens is natural. But this is not Christianity. Christianity believes in the first cause, which is God, and, and we believe in second causes, which would include 
the natural means in the ordinary course of the world which God uses to accomplish his ends, like human choices. But when there is no second cause, right, you'll have a supernatural event or miracle occur. It is outside the natural order. Uh, science is the study of the course of nature, and so a miracle lies outside of that study. Uh, this is why it often dumbfounds scientists, because it is apart from the natural order of things, the way things naturally go, right? If someone is healed of a disease that is incurable, that, that's a supernatural event, and oftentimes it leaves scientists and doctors like, what is going on? This, this is not what's supposed to happen, okay? So a miracle, a supernatural event, involves the immediate, not the immediate, or the, the natural means he uses, but the immediate power of God. Now, we would think that miracles would help someone's faith, but oftentimes miracles we see in the Bible hinders faith. And again, we see this in the case of liberalism. Some cannot believe the New Testament because of all the miracles. If you remove the miracles and the supernatural events of Scripture, it would be easier to believe for them, or so they claim. Now think of Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, two famous theists who could not believe the miracles of the Bible. Because if you remove the supernatural from the Scriptures, it becomes more commonplace. And it reduces Jesus down to just a holy man, a spiritual guru of sorts, Yet an imperfect man because he made lofty claims about himself. Right? So, and we see this in liberalism. Liberalism is all about morals. Or moralism. Right? Now this is how liberalism becomes legalistic. Because they removed the miracles. They removed God's supernatural power in believers. Or even in conversion. And they remove the supernatural person of Jesus from the Bible. And so it's just reduced down to, okay, what do I do today? How am I supposed to live? And that's all it is. Like, like I said last time, this is why to them all religions are the same. All religions talk about the golden rule and all religions, you know, has forgiveness in there. And there's all this to-do list. But no supernatural power. No salvation. It's, you know, your salvation is based on what you do. Your works. Liberalism is, their gospel is the gospel of good works. What you can do. Remember Tower of Babel? The ziggurat? The staircase to heaven? Liberalism. Same thing. It's a work salvation. What we can do to accomplish to get to the heavens. To get to glory. My way. Not what God said, not what God said in his word, my way. See, big difference, big difference. But what, would benef what benefit would Jesus be if he was just a holy man giving us worldly advice? What benefit would his death have been for sinners? Some read his death as, you know, he was a rebel fighting for a cause and he, you know, went to the death for it. He died for a cause. And he free funny thing is all his disciples were slaughtered after that. They didn't, they didn't go off into freedom. They didn't ride off into the sunset because of one guy who 
died to free them from this worldly powers. But that's how liberals read it. They were actually all slaughtered except for John. Right? What benefit would this spiritual guru be for someone who is burdened by sin? He would only be a benefit to the self-righteous person who have never faced the problem of evil in his own life. He would only be a benefit to someone who never came to the realization that he is a sinner in need of a savior. If Jesus was just a man or merely a man like the rest of mankind, then he is just an ideal man. Not that ideal because of his claims, but he's an ideal man. But far more is needed by a sinful world that is condemned under the judgment of God. But what Christians believe is that the goodness of God that triumphs over evil involved an entrance of the creative power of God manifested by the miracles. Without the miracles in the Bible, the Bible becomes an entirely different book with an entirely different message. Without the miracles, we only have Jesus as a teacher. But with the miracles, we have Jesus as a savior who died and was raised from the dead for our salvation. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot, you know, there are a lot of even conservative churches that look at Jesus' miracles who believe in them, but it's disconnected from his work of redemption. They, they look at his miracles as only uh, humanitarian work. right? Well, what's really the point? All those people are going to die anyway, again. Or, you know, when he raised Lazarus, Lazarus died again. What, what good did that do? But it was to show his redemptive power. That he was the God who can recreate man. That was the point of the miracles. He was the God who brought his creative power into the world. He wasn't living as an example of philanthropic work or humanitarianism. Why? Because when we look at the whole complex of miracles in the Bible, there is a reason for them. I think I just said it. I'm talking or teaching outside of my notes here. Sorry. Now, there is a purpose behind all of the miracles. God didn't perform miracles for entertainment purposes. The reason for miracles, and I don't think we think of this often. Okay. The reason for miracles is sin. That's the reason for miracles. Every man is guilty in the sight of God because of sin and only something supernatural can meet our need. The character of God and the love of God for sinners is found in the redeeming work of Christ. At the very root of Christianity is a supernatural religion based on supernatural events and faith in a supernatural person. Without these elements, you don't have Christianity at all. It's not Christian. And the acceptance of the supernatural depends upon the conviction of the reality of sin. Why? Because this is what makes Jesus unique because he was sinless. He is holy. And we are to compare our sinfulness with his holiness. There is a gulf between him and the rest of mankind. Without the conviction of sin, there can be no understanding of the occasion for the supernatural act of God. What's the point of the miracles <clears throat> if there's no existence of sin? Without the conviction of sin, there would be no good news. And the Bible would be a pointless story. 
No sin. What's the point of even reading the scriptures? Because from the beginning of the story of mankind, there was a command, but man disobeyed the command and fell into sin. And now all of mankind is under the dominion of sin. The law of God exposes this to us. Then we are illumined to this fact in our own lives that we are lost and blind without God. As Christians, we realize that nothing natural can meet our need besides the person who is revealed in the scriptures, the supernatural person of Jesus Christ revealed in the New Testament. And this supernatural person was also a historical person. He walked this earth. Many liberals have tried to disprove the miracles by searching for what they call the historical Jesus. Now this is the real Jesus versus the Jesus of the Bible who performed miracles. Uh, Some version of it is always on the History Channel. You know, you got the version of Jesus who married Mary Magdalene and you have the version of Jesus who was an alien. I mean, it's, it just gets ridiculous. Um, but every attempt has failed because you cannot separate the historical Jesus from the miracles he performed. They reveal the very nature of his mission in the world. I mean, we can even go back to Exodus. What was the point of the miracles in Exodus? It was sin. The problem was sin. Couldn't they find another way to cross the Red Sea? Right? They had boats back then. No, he parted it. As we uh, saw earlier today, how you know, Psalm 104 says Leviathan was in that parting. He was conquering Leviathan. He was conquering Satan. Okay? And it takes a supernatural, it takes supernatural power to conquer Satan. We can't do it. Don't try. Many have tried and all have failed to conquer Satan on their own. You need a supernatural uh, power to enter into this world. But since the modern liberal rejects the miracles, they in turn reject the entire supernatural person of our Lord. The only miracles they would accept are the healings, which to them were just faith cures. So there are uh, some, just like today, they, they say you can heal yourself by just believing hard enough. Positive thinking cures cancer and all, all this other stuff that, that's out there. If only you think positive, think of good things, you know, human will and ingenuity, positive, that's going to heal you. That, that's as far as they go with believing in the miracles. That the reason why people were healed was because they believed enough. Okay. But this is part of the problem. Uh, these few who reason this way find that some miracles are historically accurate while others were not. And this makes the whole liberal cause disingenuous. For instance, they exclude the virgin birth of Christ while they accept other portions of Jesus' ministry, like his preaching. But isn't he the same person? How can you separate the man he becomes from the manner in which he was born? Uh, But again, these are few who reason this way. Most liberal Christians do not believe in any of the miracles. Uh, Another big one they deny is the resurrection of Christ on the third day. They say what is significant about the resurrection is not that uh, Jesus was raised bodily, but his continual influence. That's what's important. So his resurrection was a picture of how he will continue to have influence on the world. He was raised to have influence. 
That, that doesn't even make sense. I don't know what that means. I, I've been trying to understand it, but I don't know what that means. Um, obviously, he's not having much influence today when we look around. Uh, that wasn't a moral act. He wasn't giving us an example of how we are to live. He did it for us because we are condemned without it. Without him being raised from the dead, we have no hope. We, we are to be pitied because our, our salvation has no grounds. We have nothing to look forward to, nothing at all. We can only look forward to condemnation. It is fundamental to Christianity, Christianity as Paul says, if, if there is no resurrection, we are of all people most to be pitied. So the problem is not that they reject some miracles, but they reject all miracles, even those who reject some miracles. And if you reject all miracles, you reject the person of Jesus Christ himself as presented in the New Testament. Quoting Machen here, reject the miracles and you have in Jesus the fairest flower of humanity. Again, he says it again. That's a great quote. I love it. Um, fairest flower of humanity who made such an impression upon his followers that after his death, they could not believe that he had perished, but experienced hallucinations in which they thought they saw him risen from the dead. Except the miracles, okay? So to them, they just experienced hallucinations. Um, I think that was an early heresy, very early on that even John speaks about in his letters. Um, I forgot the name of it. I think it's Donut, no, it's not Docetism, maybe. It's one of those. Um, but if you accept the miracles and you have a savior who came voluntarily into this world for our salvation, suffered for our sins upon the cross, rose again from the dead by the power of God and ever lives to make intercession for us. There you have a savior. There you have hope. So here the difference is between two different and polar opposite religions. Liberal churches are not churches. They have the name of a church, but they're not a church. They're not Christians. If they believe in the tenets being taught, they are not Christians. Let us not fool ourselves. So here the difference is between two different polar opposite religions. Liberal Christianity is not Christianity at all. You either accept Jesus as he is presented or you reject him. You can't accept some and reject other things about Jesus you accept him or rejection, you reject him. There is no in-between. There's no in-between. Um, as I said last week, there's few more of you in the VIP who are going to know what we're covering next. We're going to go through Galatians. And just reading through Galatians, you get the sense that, you know, that's a letter that liberal Christianity would not tolerate today. Because he's drawing, a fine, he's drawing a line. He's drawing a line in the sand. I don't care if you're moral. You could be moral and very good in society. You're doing all this philanthropic work. I can't pronounce that word today. And, and, uh, and still, you're on, the, you're on the way to hell. You're on the way to hell. It doesn't matter. Your works, what do you believe? Who do you say Jesus is? Romans 10. Let's not fool ourselves. Oh, he look, he's a nice guy. He has a good family. 
he, he's never cheated on his taxes, never cheated on his wife. You know, he, you know, everything looks good. He's not a Christian if he doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and who Jesus presented himself to be. No salvation there. And that person, just like the most wicked people you can think of, that person and that person, they're on the same boat. The moral and the outwardly evil person, the sodomite. They're on the same boat. They're on the same boat to the same place. So, and that's the gospel, but the liberalism, just turn it around. It's, it's the message of works. It's the message, the gospel of good works. Now, Machen foresaw another objection. And I believe this is point, I don't know if it's point eight, might not be in your, in your paper there. Machen foresaw another objection that could be raised in making this hard line of division between Christians and liberals. And this you'll find, even today, I think. You'll find this even today. And this may, uh, this is why uh, it may appeal to some of us who have been um, uh, in, in a conservative church all our life and we want to give the liberal a break. Uh, they may object and say the liberal preacher says clearly that Jesus is God. And of course, some of them say this. Some of them say, yes, I believe Jesus is God. But the question is, what do they mean? When they say Jesus is God. What do they mean when they use the term God? That's, that's the question. Do they mean what we understand the Bible says in describing who God is? Well, no. To the liberal, God is merely the unity that pervades the world. He is part of the process of creation. Again, pantheism. He is this, I don't even know what that means. Again, he is a unity that pervades the world. What does that mean? I have no idea. I can't even, I can't even rightly explain it. So when they say Jesus is God, they're just saying that the life of God appears with special clearness or richness in Jesus. Okay? I've personally spoken to people who think who think this way about God. I know people today, you're probably saying, wow, this is weird. I, don't, I haven't talked talk to anybody who speaks th this way. But, but to them, as I mean, just going through Job and seeing how Job counters this, to them, God is not a transcendent being who is the creator and judge of all things. He, he is not separate from his creation. So to them, anyone can be deified. Anyone can be deified and become a God or appear as God. And Jesus is the best example of this. He was the best example of a human who appeared to be like God. I don't know if you're understanding any of that yet. But you see where the problem is. My question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? And everyone that I've spoken to it is through certain lifestyle changes, implementing the Sermon on the Mount and the Golden Rule, and applying these principles to society and forming communities of people who all think they are little Christs. Very narcissistic. 
right? It's very narcissistic. It's very self-focused. I, I asked someone, clearly, do you realize you are setting yourself up as an idol when you do this? You're expecting others to worship you. With little to no response to that question. Another meaning of the term God is they believe God to be the supreme object of men's desires. So the highest thing that men know. For them, God is the object of men's emotions and desires. So in other words, you can turn anything into a God. Money, for instance. For us, we would define this as worshipping false idols. Uh, But this is what they mean that Jesus is God. He is the object of our desires and the highest thing we know. The greatest man to ever live. But they don't mean that he is the maker and ruler of the universe as Christians have believed throughout the centuries. This is deceitfully taught as if they have a high view of Jesus. But in all actuality, they teach this because they have a low view of God and who Jesus really is. When you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, they think very highly of Jesus, but they're bringing Jesus down. They're not exalting him. They're not saying what Paul said in Philippians 2. That every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the praise and honor of God. So to the liberal, uh, the liberal way to answer the question is Jesus God is very deceitful. Because the, the common way that the liberal answers a question is asking the question, well, what do you mean by fill in the, fill in the blank? I, don't. I get that all the time. Well, what do you mean by faith? What do you mean by God? Right? And according to the liberal church, Jesus differs from the rest of men only in degree and not in kind. Right? Jesus differs from the rest of us in degree, not in kind. He was the greatest man, not a different kind of man. He can be divine only if all men are divine. If all men have the ability to become divine. That's the only way Jesus can be divine for them. Is if everybody else can be divine just like Jesus. He's not a different kind of man as we believe. He is a different kind of man. He's a sinless man. He is both divine and human. So you see, it is a deifying of man. Again, it's going back to man. That's what liberalism is. It's a man-centered religion. It's going back to man. Man is the object of faith in the liberal church. That's what it is. It's all about man. But according to scriptural witness, Jesus is God. At this point, Machen says that in the church... Uh, Arianism was certainly dead at that time. He he doesn't mention uh, Jehovah's Witness, which is an Arian religion. Uh, Jehovah's Witness believed that Jesus was higher than man, but lower than God. He was an intermediate being like an angel. Uh, One of the ways that I counter this argument is that uh, Jesus is worshipped by his disciples and others in all four Gospels, which he accepts, by the way. He doesn't say, no, no, don't do that. He accepts the worship. And we know from Old Testament that worship is reserved only for God. He is worshipped in the words of Paul in his letters. 
John calls him the true God and that the churches he was writing to was to keep themselves from idols. See that in 1 John 5, 20 to 21. In Revelation, Jesus is worshipped. And what creature do we know that is higher than man, yet lower than God? We, we know angels, but who else is like that? Who was described this morning? Satan himself. He's the one who is higher than man, stronger than man, yet lower than God. So what does that say about Jehovah's Witness and what they teach? Also, throughout the New Testament, he is the object of faith in a way that can only be reserved for God. In Paul's epistles, Jesus appears again and again as associated only with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Right? You ever notice that? The Trinitarian formula is embedded in the letters. He's associated with the Father and the Holy Spirit. We see this in Romans 1. 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 1, and Colossians 1. These are just some examples of this. In the Gospel of John, the deity of Christ is the theme of the entire book. And it is no different, by the way, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Just the way he speaks of God as his Father and the way he is spoken of as the Son, Matthew eleven twenty seven says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So that, that, that right there just puts a block on anybody who claims to know God but does not know Jesus Christ. Jesus says, no, you don't know God if you don't know me as the Son then he says, come to me. He didn't say, go to God. He said, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's funny he didn't say, go to my father. No, he said, you've you got to come through me. You've got to come to me. Place your faith in me, and I will give you rest. Who has, who has that sort of power? Who can claim that sort of power to give another person rest? I can't give other people rest. Right? I can't give you rest on a Sunday. Only God can give you rest through the means he has provided. His relation to the Father is absolutely fundamental to the Gospels, which is an assertion of his deity. This is why the Jews wanted to stone him. John 5.18, because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God's equal. So all this idea about, oh, Jesus being divine, that's a later development. That's a lie. A flat-out lie. They obviously haven't read the scriptures. But at the same time, he is also a man. He gets thirsty at the well where he speaks with the Samaritan woman. He gets tired like when he slept in the boat in the middle of a storm. So all of the Gospels can attest to these two truths. That Jesus is both God and man. And every attempt to reject one part of this witness has failed. The Apollinarians denied the full humanity. Right? They were a her heretical group in the early church. 
And any attempt to blend the two natures together has produced a third thing and denied the person of the Son. Okay? So we can't reject either part right, of this doctrine that Jesus is both God and man, and we can't blend the two together. According to our confession of faith in chapter 8, section 2, it says that the two natures, human and divine, were inseparably joined into one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man? This comes directly from the witness of Scripture. In Scripture, the two natures are distinct. Where he is divine, he is purely divine. Where he is human, he is purely human. It would be great to do a study on all the ways that this is um, uh, separated in the scriptures. Um, where when he speaks as a man, he's speaking as a man. And when he's speaking as divine, he is speaking as the divine son of God. But not so distinct that Jesus was two separate persons either. This is the heresy of the Nestorians. There is unity in the person of our Lord. And this is not speculation. right? This is not high-headed uh, out there, out of this world theology. This is scripture. When we preach it, we must make that distinction, what's going on in the, in the text. It is an attempt to summarize what scripture teaches. But liberalism rejects this teaching by denying miracles, which is to deny the higher nature or the divine nature of our Lord. It is eliminating the divine nature of Christ. It is to eliminate the Jesus of history. But if you were to go to his words alone, he would be a living contradiction. How can he be held as the greatest of all men while he claims to be something that he is not? He claimed to be God, the son, and the judge of the whole world. So it looks like the Christian is one who serves a madman. That's what it looks like to the liberal. But if Jesus is who he claims to be, he is indeed mysterious. But man can rest in this mystery of the two natures of Christ. It is meant to be mysterious. As Paul says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. That word godliness can be translated as reverence or piety. Then he talks about Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit. Seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And I end by quoting Machen. He is real. He is not a manufactured figure suitable as a point of support for ethical maxims. But a genuine person whom a man can love. Men have loved him through all the Christian centuries. And the strange thing is that despite all the efforts to remove him from the pages of history, there are those who love him still.